Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <laughs> hey! hey! Right early. That's right. We're doing you always, right you always throw me off. You always throw me off when you come in all polite. Like I'm, I'm oh, used to. Like I'm used to. Like, hey, it's on. And then when you're like, hi, everybody, it's John Roca. Welcome to the Geek Buddies. It's very calming. Welcome to NPR. <laughs> On what were they thinking next? Um, yeah, so we're, we're back with another episode of the Geek Buddies. Half of them talking about the stuff going on in the world of geekdom. We've got a She Hulk trailer to talk about. We've got some box office news to get into. We've also got some, uh, I don't know, some conversations to be had about the big Star Wars article that was dropped yesterday uh, by Vanity Fair with the great Anthony Bresnikan writing that one. He used to be at EW, now at Vanity Fair. A lot was revealed in that. That's going to be our main topic. Uh, let's introduce ourselves first. I, I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Buddies. Mike. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Silicon Valley, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, still stumping for that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Much love to you. Much love to you. <laughs> and we are powered and sponsored by Carbon Health. Head on over there, carbonhealth.com. Go get checked out today. They got virtual care, in-person care. Got 100-plus locations all over the country, 50-plus locations in California alone. Anything you need to get done, they can help you with. And if you've got mental health stuff, mental health uh, screenings that they can do as well to have conversations with you and what have you. So open the door to this. Go and check them out. And if you want to download an app in case there's any health issues that could pop up while you're going about your day, go and download the Carbon Health app as well and see if there's one near you. And they're also offering testing for COVID now, uh, uh, packets rather, that you can take home and buy two for 20, I think it is, so you can get tested quickly in case you've got a function or anything you've got to go to and you want to make sure you're okay, or you just went to one of those, is I'm about to go to Star Wars Celebration, and you want to get tested right afterwards to make sure you're okay. So go and check them out, carbonhealth.com. Get, that, All right. get those midi-chlorians counted. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm really worried about the COVID-chlorians. That's for damn sure. COVID-chlorians. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to get into all this stuff here, uh, and, we're, and we just want to let you all know if you're new to the Geek Buddies, thank you so much for coming aboard the train. If you're not new, thanks so much for staying aboard the train. The way this works is each of us presents a geek news item, then we take a break and talk about our main topic, and how can our main topic not be that extensive Vanity Fair article and all that was revealed, some new things that were revealed in that article as well, and news that was dropped. But uh, we'll start off with uh, Shannon McClung. What do you got for us, brother? I got trailer. So yesterday we got our first look at Marvel's She-Hulk. So we also got a, a release date. It's August 17th coming out on Disney+. Plus. So this trailer, you know, Tatiana Maslany's playing Jennifer Walters. Mark yep. Ruffalo's back as Bruce Banner slash Smart Hulk. We got glimpses of Tim Roth. We got glimpses of Ginger Gonzaga. I mean, this show looks, it looks like a blast. I mean, I know there are going to be, there are going to be people out there that are going to, 
uh, uh, question some of the CGI as of right now. But remember, we are still in May. This this show does not come out for three months. Plenty of time to work on it. Um, but I'll throw it to you, gentlemen, first. What did you all think of our first look at She-Hulk? Mikey. I mean, I think my brother said it best after uh, after Multiverse of Madness. He looked at me and he said, "Now this is the Marvel we come to expect. Like this is <laughs> this is what I want. This is this is my Marvel vibe. Like it was interesting. It was weird. It was funny. If you are a fan of the She-Hulk comics, it like looks like it's right out of that. Like the vibe is exactly right. It's superhero law." Uh, it just looks like hilarious. I mean, uh, Bruce Banner as Smart Hulk looks like he is just carrying on exactly as funny and as quality as he was in Endgame. Um, Abomination coming back is great. I, uh, I believe at Disney Upfronts they also said that, uh, that Wong is also going to be in yes. She-Hulk, so we know we're going to get more Wong, and who doesn't love more Wong, really? But, like, the vibe and the humor of it was great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to another nine-episode series uh, as opposed to the six episodes. So, you know, probably like half hours, kind of like WandaVision um, and Loki, uh, give or take, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on the episode. But I I could not be more excited. I think when these were all announced, I had said uh, that She-Hulk was the one that I was most excited for. Mm. And this trailer uh, doubled down on my excitement. There's definitely a few shots, to your point, where the CG looks like you're like, mm, that looks almost right. Like it's it's close, but there's something a little weird. But uh, I think once we see it all up on its feet in August, uh, on its big green feet in August, I think it's going to work out great. Yeah, I, I loved the trailer. I did a trailer reaction for you uh, yesterday afternoon, and I just was absolutely just blown away by how much I enjoyed it. You know, I'm looking forward to Ms. Marvel, but I, I but I can't, how much can I connect to a 14 year old or 15 year old girl? Uh, there a little bit but not a lot so I, I was looking for and i was hoping to get something a little more connectable for me in she hulk and it did it was great i love the smile the humor the smirk uh throughout this the sarcasm i mean the scene between her and and banner uh as hulk when she's like you know anger and fear those are the base emotions for any woman all the time and i was just like that is fantastic that's so perfect and then seeing her come into her and then and the humor of it all and her being like i just want to be a, you know a, a, by myself but i just want to you know keep to myself i don't want to make that big of a deal is she going to be a hero is she not going to be a hero her cracks at uh, the people who become heroes uh, uh what uh, overgrown orphans or whatever that she says a nice little shot there uh, all of it was really really funny it, it wasn't mean-spirited which i think is important it was funny but not mean-spirited and then eventually later when we see her like swiping right and all of that and taking a dude home i thought that was great we haven't seen stuff like that in a marvel show so seeing it here where it's very like down to earth even though she's a she-hulk she's very down to earth she's got this and, and they introduce this new uh, law firm for metahumans and what have you so what's that going to lead to and seeing all these people popping in and it, it makes sense that wong would come in because we saw wong with abomination in shang chi so this story continues what's this connection with him and abomination so it'd be curious i'm going to be very excited to see how they do that in the show but overall loved it tatiana maslani is the perfect choice and the cgi i get people complain about cgi but i've seen great cgi and crap movies and i've seen shitty cgi and good movies so i will take you know a cgi that needs to get a little work on it for three months as shannon just said because i already like what i'm seeing from the acting and the writing and the scenes and the people who are coming aboard in this series so yeah yeah, I mean, the thing with Tatiana Maslany, like if like I imagine most of our audience is familiar uh, with her work from Orphan Black. But, yeah. um, you know, Tatiana, Tatiana Maslany is really, really funny. Yeah. And this is giving her the the I think one of the strongest platforms to showcase those comedic chops that she has. And, you know, we saw from Endgame, like we already knew Mark Ruffalo was funny. But watching yeah. this this combination, this happy medium that he's found as smart Hulk. Uh, or Professor Hulk, whatever, whichever they called him. Um, but, you know, watching these two get to play off each other and also thinking about the other supporting cast members. I mean, Ginger Gonzaga, she is a sitcom staple. Um, she was in TBS's Wrecked, where she was very funny. She was in Mixology. Also, uh, uh, from from Good Place, I'm blanking on her name, Jamila Jamil. Uh, also, yeah. like, which we, did, we didn't see her in this trailer, I don't believe, no. but she's another very, very, very funny presence. And you look at the creative team behind it, with uh, Kat Quaro, who is one of the directors, uh, Jessica Gao, who's the head writer. I mean, you know, these are folks that you know worked on Dead to Me. They worked on Rick and Morty. I mean, there are there, there's a lot of comedic 
uh, talent here. And even though I didn't read a ton of She-Hulk, um, going off what uh, what Vogel said it was, I mean, this seems like this seems like, you know, the, the superhero lawyer comedy. And just watching uh, Jennifer Walters as she has kind of hulked out and you hear all these women complimenting her um, <laughs> like, you know, she, she gets this confidence that maybe as Jennifer Walters, she didn't always have. This looks uh, fantastic. Yeah, it, I mean, what She-Hulk really is, it's the inverse of the Hulk story. I mean, in the Hulk story, Bruce Banner, it's Jekyll and Hyde. It's like you have this monster inside you that, like, is a destructive force. And this is kind of like the Teen Wolf vibe. It's I, ha I, I turn into a monster and I'm more popular. People, people don't want Jennifer Walters to be their lawyer. People want She-Hulk to be their lawyer. And really struggling with, you know, who are you? Are you are you the big green version of you? Are you the little version of you? And what's the stronger version? And I think they're, they're really delving into that. And they're also doing what the She-Hulk comic did really well, or it looks like they're going to, which is kind of like taking the piss out of superheroes. Like, uh -huh. we've reached the point in Marvel where getting superpowers doesn't automatically mean that you're on this dramatic journey where you have to step up and be this hero and save whatever. This is now a world that is filled with superheroes, which is why you need superhero law. And, you know, and, and a character who is like, I don't want to be an Avenger. I just want to be a good lawyer like that. And I think that's a different that's a different flavor than we've seen so far. And it looks like they're really doubling down on that. Yeah. And of course, based on the John Byrne run, it seems like from what uh, we're hearing uh, from a number of sources, it's based on the John Byrne run, which has that vibe to it right off the bat. And if you haven't read the John Byrne run with She-Hulk, you, you should definitely go and check that one out. Um, and yeah, and I, I, look, all of it just points to a nice new opening in the MCU, as you said, Mike, where superheroes are just a normal everyday fact of life. Now, the fact that she can go dating in a public place and not be uh, you know, weirded out by the fact that she's She-Hulk uh, or anybody reacting to it in a negative, that tells you how much more this world has accepted the idea of superheroes and how much more commonplace it is, which will allow for more sitcom -y type humor. So I think that's great yeah. to kind of open the door to that more and more. And... Yep. No, go for it. Go, go for it. Oh, I was going to say, you know, and Kevin Feige at uh, Disney Upfronts this week, you know, was talking Ooh. about just the success that Marvel has had with their yeah. shows uh, as as he revealed the She-Hulk trailer and was kind of touting all the stuff they have coming down the pipe. And, you yeah. know, they've started production on Loki season two. I guess Loki is the most watched Disney show. But they're also seeing, and this is like the synergy that Disney and Marvel wanted, that when you have a big movie like Multiverse of Madness come out, they're seeing spikes in all those shows. Like everybody went back to watch WandaVision. They went back to watch these things. And I think that they're going to continue to see that. So having all these shows on Disney Plus sort of complementing what they're doing with phase four, uh, despite what you might think of individual movies or not, I mean, definitely yeah. check out our spoiler review on Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> the bigger Marvel machine definitely seems to be uh, going strong. Yeah, and by the time yeah. She-Hulk comes out, we will have already gotten Miss Marvel and we would have gotten Thor. Actually, by the time She-Hulk comes out, we may have gotten a trailer for Black Panther and maybe for Secret Invasion too. Yeah. So as you said, the Marvel machine is just churning stuff out right now. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, and Bob Chapik was there at the upfront, up front, so seems like he's still kind of in the position that he's in. So uh, kind of interesting to see that. So we'll see how that how that plays out over the next uh, few months. And it, yeah, I, I think if this becomes a, a successful year for my look, we're about to talk about Doctor Strange here, but like, you know, it's, it's been a financially successful year for Marvel, you would argue. So if they keep going down this path, you know, people might forget about the other thing a little bit or push it to the back burner a little bit and move past it. And uh, considering the steps that they're taking to try to address it, we shall see. We shall see. But uh, certainly having Kevin Feige out there telling all the stuff that's coming is a good situation. Sorry, Shannon. What were we going to say? Uh, no, I was going to say it for a sound. It sounded like a Freudian slip of Bob Jacob was there at out fronts. Like, oh, did I say out fronts? I hope I said up. Fronts. <laughs> no, you, cor mind. you corrected yourself. Okay, but okay, I was okay. like, well, we know how Roka feels about this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> All I feel is I, I, and now it's a new goal to try to be there for up fronts next year to cover it. Cause that looks like an awesome situation. Um, all right. What do we got next? Uh, Mikey, right. You're taking us next. Uh, continuing on the Marvel train, uh, and bigger box office. Uh, you know, a lot of people were watching, uh, how Dr. Strange performed, obviously it had a huge opening weekend, mm. second weekend, uh, still huge for any, 
Infinity movie, but a huge drop off as well. Uh, and so, you know, Dark Horizons was covering it. Uh, you know, it had a 67% drop off, which is not when you're making as much money as you make in your opening weekend is not the worst thing in the world, but it's definitely at the higher end of drop offs for Marvel movies from their first week to their second week. So everybody's looking at that, trying to figure out, you know, what does that mean for Doctor Strange? Honestly, what it means at the end of the day is Doctor Strange is still a mega hit, even if it continues to drop off at that rate. It's already on track to make a billion dollars. It has far surpassed what Doctor Strange 1 did. So by any stretch, the movie is a success, but maybe not as monstrous as a success as Marvel and Disney were hoping. I mean, I think, you know, at this point, you look at what No Way Home did, you look at some of the other movies, I think they want every movie to be a monster. And I think Multiverse of Madness, people were feeling like it was going to be, and maybe it's not quite the monster that they were hoping. But the bigger thing about it, uh, about this past weekend, is despite its 67% drop, Doctor Strange still accounted for two thirds of the box office at the weekend of the weekend. That means that despite its drop off, it made more money than everything else combined. Everything else combined just took in like a 31 million because there wasn't a lot. I mean, Firestarter released this weekend, flamed out. Oh, uh, hey. And people are just really, you know, we've been talking about this since COVID. Like, what is it going to be like when people go back to the movies? Are people going to be comfortable going back to the movies? And we've been covering this and you sort of see it happen. If a movie does bad, they say, oh, well, it did bad because of COVID. But then a Spider-Man No Way Home comes out or an Everything Everywhere All at Once or The Northman, which are both going really, really strong, and everybody yeah. goes to see it. So it does look like audiences are very willing to go to theaters when they want to go to theaters, but they are also much pickier than they were pre-COVID. So everyone is kind of looking at this as like, what does it mean? How should studios be reacting to this? Should we do more day and date releases on streaming? Should we not do more day and date releases on streaming? So kind of a two-tiered two story. One is Doctor Strange is dropping box office, but the other side of it is Doctor Strange is still going strong and people are going, and what's up with the rest of the box office? So gentlemen, as two experts on going to the movies, <laughs> what do you two think about all this? Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this because, it, first of all, the the, the Strange is, is about to cross 700 million as I read this morning on Variety, so it's churning along. It's going to make its billion. But Michael brings up a great point. There is this feeling that Marvel was hoping it would be on pace to make more. You know how Batman v Superman people are like, oh, it made 700 million dollars. Yeah, but they wanted this thing to cross maybe two billion, and so it's about perspective and uh, expectations, and that's important when you're looking at a film and Multiverse of Madness. Since it's been dropping, the cinema score and the uh, the critic score has been dropping consistently uh, for the last few a couple weeks, rather, as more and more people have seen it and offering their reviews and whatever you, you see it dropping. So not a universally beloved film in the way Spider-Man No Way Home was, so that's going to affect the box office. Um, and in the end, what you've got here is, according to the article, the first time that a box office has not crossed $100 million on a May weekend since 2007 discounting the last two years of covid and i i think you're actually right mike I, and I'm, I'm so tired of seeing this narrative that oh fans just want stupid explosion movies that is such crap they're more selective now because you've made the movies so expensive to go to so they're going to be more selective and they're going to pick certain does it mean your movie's not good no west side story was incredible barely made any money at the box office but it does mean they're more picky and they're more selective. So you're going to have to work harder to earn their money. Even the more independent films, right? As you pointed out, Michael, so astutely, The Northman saw its lowest drop yet this past yeah. weekend. That's incredible. Everything Everywhere All at Once is already miles ahead of any A24 release ever in the box office. So fans are hunting out and looking for things that they will enjoy and that will challenge them as viewers. So I'm so tired of this narrative that because the Marvel movies are so great or, or the DC movies are so great, somehow the audience is being dumbed down. That is ridiculous. They're searching for stuff that is more coherent, more challenging. And I think that's also the reason why a lot of people didn't like uh, Multiverse of Madness. They weren't challenged by that film. They weren't pushed to consider. And there was incongruent storyline decisions and plot issues. Wow. And so for them, they didn't like it as much. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that scares the industry. And the other side of this, though, is the idea of the smaller independent movies. Because Khan just started a couple of days ago. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of films are gonna, that are going to be showcased there that are independent films or smaller films. 
that these studios, how willing will they be to buy them and give them theatrical releases, considering the changing landscape that has happened since COVID um, with the smaller and independent films? Are they all going to go to streaming? How many are going to go to theatrical releases? So we're seeing some uh, inconsistency in the smaller films in terms of the box office. So how is that going to affect things? So there's a lot to consider and look at here um, amidst the the Doctor Strange news and and what have you. So, uh, Shannon, what do you think? You know, I, a couple of thoughts here. I mean, one, I think, you know, movies make a billion dollars when people are going to see it more than once. True. And, true. you know, I think Doctor Strange was one of those movies that people saw it once. And whether they liked it or whether they didn't, um, folks clearly didn't need to see it again. Like, I was one of the rare few that saw it three times. One, because I wanted to watch it again. And one, because I had a little bit of time on my hands. Um, but and you needed those a nap. Were... And you needed a nap. <laughs> get, a little, get a little snooze. Um, they still got the same money. Um, but those repeat viewings, I did see, like, okay, yeah, there's not there's not a ton of reason f- for me to revisit this again, as much as I did have a great time the first time. But I also think with Dr. Strange as a character, it's sort of like the Iron Man versus Captain America argument. If you look at the trilogies of Iron Man and Captain America, for the most part, Iron Man makes more money. Why? We don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I think Winter Soldier made more than Cap than, uh, than uh, uh, Iron Man 2, but Captain America Civil War, which was essentially Avengers 2.5, yeah. um, did not make as much money as Iron Man 3. So I do think, like, in, in comparing, like, Spider-Man to Doctor Strange, I mean, Spider-Man is just sort of a more enduring character, and Doctor Strange, up to this point, has mainly been a supporting player. Like he got really, really interesting when we saw little glimpses of him in Thor in the Avengers movies. Right. Um, but going to and also I think the other studios looking at what Doctor Strange they thought was they thought was going to do. Um, I think other studios kind of cleared the path like they didn't want to get run over. Um, Firestarter would have been counter programming, yeah. but they also didn't really market that movie that much. I mean, yeah. you can you can you can lay you, you can try to lay the blame at the feet of Peacock and that we had a day and day's release. Like, I don't know a ton of people who but, subscribe to Peacock, but Halloween but, kills made 40 million dollars. Yeah. But that's but no, but that's not that's not not a great comparison, though, because Halloween kills is a sequel to a very, very successful uh, version of Halloween. Most most people don't even don't know that Firestarter, uh, you know, the original one came out in the 80s yeah. and it was yeah. Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I but also I think there was a lack of uh, marketing push behind Firestarter as well. Like I saw a couple of trailers in the theaters, but I didn't see any TV spots. And this and also Blumhouse, like they they probably like I don't know what they spent on that budget. I don't think they're going to take a huge loss on Firestarter. My guess is that they did not do it. You know, that wasn't a big big yeah. budgeted movie mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i i think you can kind of i mean vogel talked about it before but you can kind of look at the release dates and be like this is what this is what's probably going to do well this is what yeah. probably isn't going to do well like downton abbey has a very loyal audience that is going to show up um top movie, gun I'm sure and it really sure tickled see- john roca it sure tickled hey. john roca when he saw it, it made hey. him feel good it's a good movie it's a good and movie. And Top Gun, which Johnny has also Woo! seen, sure seems like it's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think, yeah. I mean, just on the Doctor Strange of it all, though, I do want to say, because it does sound like we're talking about it like it's a disappointment. And it's not. Like, it's made a billion. It's going to make a billion dollars. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is It is going to be a huge hit. And Marvel and Disney can are all very happy with how it's doing, even if they were hoping it was going to do more. But I think the bigger thing with Doctor Strange specifically is, I would, I'll compare it to Last Jedi. Uh, I love Last Jedi. I don't love Multiverse of Madness, but they're very similar in that, look, by any stretch, Last Jedi, when it came out, made a shit ton of money. It was a hit for Disney. It was a hit for Lucasfilm. The fan response was very divided. So divided that they freaked out and we ended up with Rise of Skywalker. So I do think that when you're looking at the studios, you know, because anyone in the comments can be like, why are you guys bashing Doctor Strange? It's a fucking hit. Everyone is making a ton of money. You're a thousand percent right. But because of that really divided reaction that's happening on social media, the people that are like, I don't know what you're talking about, geek buddies. You all are insane. I fucking love this movie. (laughs) And the people that are like, yeah, I kind of agree with you. It didn't do it for me. Is so split down the middle that that's not the reaction that everybody loves. And similar to Lucasfilm and Last Jedi, which I'm on the other side of because I absolutely love it. But like when you have that split fan base and a movie does have that level of a drop, you're like, uh. Whereas with No Way Home, 
There was very little split. We all agreed that that's a fucking banger movie, and it just kept making money, kept making money, kept making money. So I think um, we're not saying that Doctor Strange isn't a hit for Marvel. It clearly is. Um, But it is interesting. And the other thing I'll say just to the bigger box office of it all is it's not just that we have a lot of choices in television. It's not just that we have all of these streaming services. Mm. But just like we were talking about with She-Hulk, we now have movie quality stars, movie quality special effects, movie quality showrunners, writers, directors, all going to TV. So it's also about, we have more options. Like, do I need to go see Blumhouse's Firestarter when I can watch uh, Josh Brolin in Outer Range, when I can watch the new the new season of Russian Doll, when I can watch, I mean, there's just Strange New Worlds. Hacks, like Barry. Yeah, Hacks season two, Barry. Like, we just have such a high caliber of talent in television right now that we're getting just as much entertainment as home. So movies have to work a little harder. And the ones that do, Northmen, everything, everywhere, yep. all at once, multiverse of madness, people come out for. And the truth that's been the truth since the beginning of film, no one knows the magic formula. No one. You just never know what's going to hit, what's not going to hit, what's going to be successful, what isn't. You take your chance. You hope you got the right writers, the right producers, the right directors, the right actors, and the right combo to get and editors to make sure you get the right movie out there, but it never guarantees you a hit. You know, the decades are littered with great films that never got seen or didn't get great responses at the box office. I mean, yeah, Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life. You can go Blade Runner, you can go all to the list, you know, great films that people didn't come out to see, you know. And all of the articles that, <laughs> like, when a movie doesn't do well, the articles that come out, like, oh, we should have seen this coming. If the reverse were true, if the movie had done gangbusters, all the articles would have followed. Be like, of course, this was the perfect time for this. So it's always a little reactive. Yeah, I agree. A thousand percent. Um, All right, let's move on to uh, speaking of great uh, TV, as Michael was referencing here. Geeked Week, this uh, new uh, trailer from Netflix dropped. Uh, I know, you know, normally uh, Shannon is the trailer guru, but this is I'm talking specifically about some of the stuff that was dropped here. This was a kind of a compilation trailer from Netflix Geek Week. They touched on Umbrella Academy season three, which is going to be I I love that series. So I'm so looking forward to season three uh, dropping Stranger Things four, which is right around the corner, people. Uh, they just had the premiere in Hollywood, I think, a couple days ago. Resident Evil, Cyberpunk Edge Rainers. There's, I think, a League of Legends Arcane that said that was uh, previewed there. But the big thing that was previewed was the first few, I think, uh, moving images, if I can use that term, of Sandman. That was something that people have been waiting for for quite some time. Seeing Tom Sturridge as Sandman, seeing Gwendolyn Christie as a Lucifer, and I thought they did a, a you know, get some interesting images coming out of this trailer for sure. Uh, and so, gentlemen, did you get a chance to watch the trailer? And what stood out for you? And what do you think about Sandman and how it looks? Um, should we go to Michael first on this one, uh, Shannon? He's got some strong opinions. What do you think? I, yeah, I think he's got more to say. Mikey, please. I have strong it. opinions. I just have <laughs> a feeling in my gut. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I yeah, I'm, I look, I, like you, I'm super excited for Umbrella Academy Season 3. I think that show has continued to deliver at such a high level. It's great. Uh, You know, I mean, Netflix is really, in a lot of ways, they're killing it with the geek stuff. I mean, Arcane is truly one of my favorite things, period, at this point in my life. Like I I, I was telling someone the other day, I had to go talk to my therapist about Arcane because it was so good that I was like, why can't I be working on that show? Um, (laughs) This really, it was a rough week for me. But uh, look, I'm super excited about Sandman. Nothing is Sandman strawberry shortcake, is... Shannon. Nothing is strawberry shortcake. He's just look, saying. I love working on strawberry shortcake. Don't get me wrong. Barry in the big city, Big Apple City. It's my home away from home. But whew, Arcane threw me for a loop, y'all. Um, and there are other projects that we're not talking about that I'm also oh. feeling the sting from right now. Oh, nice. all right, all right, all right. Um, anyways, <laughs> I love Sandman. It's one of my favorite comic book series. Uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of literature. Um, and if you have not gone to Audible and listened to the Audible Sandman series with James McAvoy as Dream and just a stellar cast, uh, they're killing it. It is a direct adaptation from the comics. So these images look good. Like everything looks good. I've been very excited about the Sandman series, but I can't, uh, these guys know because we were talking about it on our text chain. Something about it, something about the images, Mm. I've got a, uh, 
I got a feeling in my tummy that I don't know that this is going to deliver what Sandman fans want. And I don't okay. know why. The images all look great. Like, he looks great as Dream. Yeah. Uh, I think behind him, um, I don't know who the actress is, but I believe she's playing Lucian. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer, I think is awesome casting. Like, it all looks really interesting, but... And maybe it's just that Sandman is one of those things to me that the Audible series works because you're still picturing it in your mind. And mm. Sandman is such a specific vibe for me that as soon as I'm seeing actual actors inhabiting these roles it just loses some of the whimsy or the mystical nature of it um i don't know what it is but like seeing those images i was so excited i saw them and i'm like okay we'll see uh i'm also just really curious how they're gonna adapt it uh yeah. you know i mean like especially listening to the audible series which like i said is st a straight up adaptation you realize just how meandering the story is and that's part of what neil gaiman did on purpose i mean it's this story that dream is sort of in and out of i mean he's barely even in the first half of uh the comic and so it's just seeing how they're going to adapt it i i think it's like i love it so much that i'm so nervous that it's not going to stick the landing that that's what my reaction was yeah shannon thoughts on this and uh, anything else we saw in geek tweet well, I mean, the only like we didn't see a ton, but uh, a film that I'm very excited for, and generally Netflix movies are not my jam, um, is The Gray Man, which is the Russo oh, yes. brothers directed, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Chris Evans, who who has said in interviews that he is doing the most anti Captain America uh, choices that he can <laughs> with this role. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got a great creepy mustache. I mean, that that movie looks like this this could be a blast. Um, to the Sandman of it. So, like, when I first tried to read uh, Sandman, it was probably, yeah, I believe it was Vogel who gave me the hardback. And I had a really hard time connecting to it. And I don't know if it was wow. the artwork. I, I know definitely part of it was probably the artwork. Like, Dream, for me, like, I'm like, this is a protagonist. I'm having a hard time getting behind. You're very gothy looking. Like, this is just not my type of protagonist. Um, or, or it could have been the meandering story as well. But then listening to the audible series ah. that is where i really connected to it and so listening to the audible series and coming up with the visuals in my head watching the 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 stuff that i've seen from the netflix series that really matches to me now again i can't i, I would not be as much of a, as an authority on the property as vogel would be but looking at the choices they've made and it like the production design uh it seems like there is a lot of care behind this so mm -hmm. for me it looks it looks really really good i think the the casting of gwendolyn christie is is inspired w looking at uh dream like for this like okay that make like that's still to me that is the spirit of the comic but making it a little more palatable for a wider audience um, so I think it looks really, really interesting and getting to see Charles dance as, was it Roderick? Is that his, the character's name? The one who mm -hmm. does the incantation at the beginning? Yeah, Bur Roderick Burgess. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm all, I'm all in for this. There like, and, but there have been times in the past where I, I've seen the beginning of something uh, and like notably the last season of Game of Thrones. Uh, um, there was something in that first episode that I was like, some seems off, but I was so excited that that's not something that I voiced. I, and I'm, and I'm making a pledge to try to the, ne the next time I think something's off, I'm going to say it. And I don't get an off feeling with this, mm. but again, I don't know the material well enough to make that educated a judgment. I'm just using my eyes and I think my eyes think it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> and some other things that were in there, uh, as you mentioned, manifest uh, the gray man, rather manifest Allison borderland day shift, Resident Evil and the Sea Beast were all kind of uh, kind of sampled there yeah. uh, as well, which were great to watch. But yeah, the things that stand out with a little more of the Stranger Things four footage, uh, which I'm so so I'm just so excited. In fact, I need to reach out to them and see if I can get those episodes early. And then also uh, seeing a little, uh, yeah, I did like the Gray Man stuff. I did like seeing Chris Evans kind of going in a whole new direction with a character, and he's spoken about what he's doing with that character, which is going to be fascinating. But Sam Man is the conversation, right? Isn't it? And I. I'm with you, Michael. I'm like, I, I'm not a hundred percent like, at like, oh, I got a weird feeling in my tummy. It's more a matter of like, God, please get this right. It's just that kind of feeling. And I think when we see it, Mike, you bring up a super. I was thinking about this. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but 
once it is cast, our fan casting, our imagery, our thoughts on it, all of a sudden goes to second place. So we kind of have to uh, um, cede control of the look and the feel and whatever in our minds to what we're being presented. And Tom Sturridge is being presented as dream in this uh, uh, version of it. And so I know I'm not a hundred percent sold on Tom Sturridge. I'm down with the Gwendolyn Christie things. I like the idea of her getting a chance to, you know, literally and figuratively spread her wings a little bit as this character and have some fun. You mentioned season eight of Game of Thrones. They did her character dirty in season eight. So I oh, see- oh boy, did they? I, yeah, and so I want to see what she can do here with a role like this, where you know people were expecting like a blonde dude to come in and play it. Now you've got, um, and of course there was that series on 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 Fox for a long time, but now you've got Gwendolyn Christie bringing that kind of energy to it, male female energy to it, which is going to be a lot of fun to see. So I'm in, but the whole filter and the foggy filter thing, the uh, you know the, uh, all of that, I, I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? What are we seeing? So. I'm going to need to see more, and I hope it's incredible. And you guys have now just talked me into the Audible series because I, so it sounds like I'm going to be spending some time with that it, in my it ears is, as I you play are, my video games. So, yeah. You, you, here's what you're going to do though you won't play it, you won't listen to it while you play your video games. You're like, you'll try and listen to it while you do other things, and then you will just realize that it's been an hour and you are just laying on the couch staring at the wall, and you are just, you've just been listening to it because it's that good. And I do think, fair enough. I, I think, look, like, I, I enjoyed the first season of American Gods, but it, then it kind of went mm. off the rails. I, and I do, I like Neil Gaiman just writes these sort of, crazy stories that I think are very hard to adapt. And I think another thing that maybe is in the back of my head is he had said in an interview, I forget where it was, but he had said that the Audible series is a direct adaptation of the comics. And that that allowed them to, when they got to the Netflix series, to start changing things and making, uh, you know, alterations to the story to fit a more traditional storytelling narrative. And I think for me, Sandman is something where I'm like, don't do that. I don't care if it's weird. I don't care if audiences don't get it. Like do, do this thing right. And so I think that I'm going to like, well, it'll be, I'll be curious to see it. Like in those first, we'll definitely have to be covering on Geek Buddies because I think oh, it will yeah. be a whole lot of opinions. Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. Um, all right. So the, yeah, uh, all that stuff is coming out. Uh, they've released the schedule. Monday, June 6th is day one with the series stuff. June 7th is day two with the film stuff. Day three is June 8th with animation. Day four is June 9th with Stranger Things. And Friday, June 10th is day five. That's the game-based content that they've got coming out that they previewed there in that trailer as well. So look for all of that coming to Netflix. <clears throat> Lord knows Netflix can need it and unfortunately laid off 150 people yesterday. And so they're they're struggling right now, which is something I really never thought I'd say for quite some time. So kind of shocking to see what's happening with them. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break and then we'll get into our main topic, which is that Star Wars article that dropped yesterday on Vanity Fair. We'll be right back after this. I kind of just want to let him keep going. I appreciate that. I appreciate that one. That was a good one. I usually give you shit, but that was a good one. That was a good pull. Good pull. All right. Yesterday, uh, Vanity Fair dropped this uh, pretty extensive article here talking about the upcoming series coming to uh, coming to Disney Plus here from uh, Disney. And, and they previewed a number of things. They talked about Andor. They talked about Ahsoka. They mentioned the Acolyte. They talked about the John Watts project, which was a heck of a surprise. Uh, and then they got into more of the Kenobi series more of what we might be seeing in the Mandalorian. And they had some fantastic pictures of the cast and crew of the actors that are going to be starring in these roles that I thought was really great to see. And for me personally, I'm going to get this out of the way now so we don't belabor the point. It was incredible to see three Latinx actors on the cover of Vanity Fair leading their series with Ahsoka, with Andor, uh, with the Mandalorian. It was Pedro Pascal, Diego Luna, and Rosario Dawson. It Brought a tear to my eye. I didn't get, you know, I didn't cry, but it brought a tear to my eye for years saying how we needed to see this. And now finally getting it, it was worth the wait. And I thought this article was very interesting. And there was a lot of controversy around this article because it really seemed like Kathleen Kennedy was doing some nice brand saving here about Solo, 
about Filoni and how she was the one that brought Filoni and Favreau together. So, Mikey, I go to you uh, on this one because you've worked in studios. You know people brand save or massage narratives uh, to kind of keep their legacy intact. What did you think reading this article? What stood out for you from the news that was announced uh, in this article? And uh, what did you think of uh, some of Kathleen Kennedy's comments? Well, all right, a couple things. One, having like worked at like, uh, you know, Disney and Hasbro and Sony, like you really do, like I, this is, it's, this is a puff piece and it's a good puff piece. Like it's a great okay. article. Like I had a blast reading it, uh, right. but this is a piece to promote all the shit that Disney Plus and, and Lucasfilm are coming out with. And so of course everything is gonna be like rosy and sound great and everything is good. Like I have lived that life of like being behind the scenes at, Hasbro, where we were, where we were, you know, where the the live action gem movie is in production, or <laughs> Michael Bay is doing the next Transformers movie, and behind the scenes, everyone's like, "The fuck is going on? This is a disaster! Oh God! Like this is what's happening!" And then you read an article where like the you know, well, Hasbro studio says, "Oh, we couldn't be happier about this, and it's just such a creative endeavor, and sometimes you take risks, and sometimes you see what happens." And behind the scenes, everyone's like, "This is a fucking disaster!" So like, so like, yes, this article is like, hey, everything's lovely. Let's tell the wonderful story about how Mandalorian became a hit and we have these other amazing things happening and everyone's holding hands and it's kumbaya and the force is with us and we've never been stronger and it's what like, so sure, it's like that. And that's not really how it all goes down, but it's still fun. And, and, but I do think to their credit, look, I think Kathleen Kennedy and Disney and Lucasfilm absolutely deserve to take a victory lap like give it to him like mandalorian came out and worked beyond anybody's expectations oh yeah um grogu is literally holding up the entire star wars franchise right now as far as consumer products goes like it's insane he you from a consumer product standpoint grogu outsells every other star wars character combined i mean it's just insane like what what he's doing for the brand for disney and for lucasfilm and um, despite Book of Boba, you know, maybe not completely being what everybody wanted, I think it continued the Mandalorian story. It continued like moving these characters forward. The excitement around Obi-Wan is ridiculous. The excitement around oh, yeah. Ahsoka is ridiculous. Uh, the stuff that they had in the article about Andor was super fascinating. The Acolyte stuff, the John Watts series, like they're really moving Star Wars forward. And I think that everyone is super, super excited about Star Wars right now, even if you don't love every single moment that's been happening in the series. Um, so like, look, give them the lap. As far as like what Kathleen Kennedy said, I mean, I know the big, there was all that stuff made about what she said about Solo. Yeah. Uh, I think that was all taken a bit out of context. I don't think what she said was entirely wrong. Um, I did say to these guys, I got a little bit, the way the article is framed is that Favreau was over here having some idea about a Mandalorian series and Filoni was over here wanting to do his Mandalorian series and Kathleen Kennedy is like, well, these two should get together. Let me introduce them. And I'm like, well, they met because John Favreau was the voice of Pre Vizsla on Clone Wars in the episode that introduced the Darksaber. So why does he want to do an episode about Mandalorian? Because him and Filoni had this conversation however many years ago. So that was a little bit of like, like eh, okay, Kathleen Kennedy, I don't know that that's 100% you, but sure, I'll give it to you. Um, but I mean, and I was saying this to somebody yesterday, I am a Kathleen Kennedy defender. Despite yeah. like what happened with that new trilogy and sort of the... Abrams to Johnson back to Abrams and not having the continuity and everybody getting mad like I've said this before on the show like that's not really the type of producer that Kathleen Kennedy is it's not yeah. the type of producer she ever was but look at this woman's track record and despite the new trilogy maybe not being exactly what every fan of Star Wars wanted look at where Star Wars is right now so yeah. I think that uh I I'm I'm fully on the Kathleen Kennedy bandwagon and I will defend her uh I'll defend her to anybody as I get excited about all these series coming up. Okay, fair enough. Shannon, thoughts on, on this article and what stood out for you uh, from some of the news items that were released, some of the comments of Kathleen Kennedy, some of the stuff that Pedro Pascal said, uh, Rosario Dawson essentially uh, outing her uh, friend's son uh, <laughs> <laughs> and making it a life lesson. Um, what stood out for you as you were reading this article uh, and also about Kathleen Kennedy's words? I mean, I love the juxtaposition between uh, Diego Luna having a conversation about Star Wars 
in a mm. cab versus Rosario Dawson <laughs> having conversations about Star Wars at Diego Luna is protecting it like like it's a state secret, whereas Rosario Dawson's FaceTiming with a kid. Yeah, makes, in costume. Yeah. You know, I mean, I thought both of those were, were a lot of fun. Getting to read Ewan McGregor's sort of uh, 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 way back to Star Wars, I, I thought was I thought was really nice because you know yeah. when you're out doing press, I mean, uh, you want to put your you want to put on a, a good face, like you don't want to besmirch a project you've done in the past, right. um, even though you may not have had the best experience. But all the times that he's like, yeah, I'd love to come back, I'd love to come back, and that moment where Lucasfilm actually reached out to him and be like, are you serious? Yeah, like uh, for real, because you know we have we have things in the work and seeing the transition from the Boba Fett movie and the Obi-Wan movie to the, to the Disney plus series. I mean, I, I, I do, cause they talk about it when they had rented sound stages in London to do Obi-Wan. And then that, that those went away because they wanted to fine tune the scripts a little bit more. And I remember we had this conversation a few years ago being like, Oh my God, is the Kenobi show not going to happen? Right. And it looks like, they they made a decision that probably financially was not that popular and definitely wasn't popular with the fans at the time. But they they hit the pause button to get the story into as good a shape as it could be before they proceeded. And obviously, you know, we have to wait a few more weeks to find out if if that gamble paid off. A few more weeks um, next week. What do you mean? Is it next week? week? Yeah, it's, Kenobi. Kenobi oh, twenty seven. Look at that. So, so yeah. it's next week, next but week. Yeah. getting to, you know, making that decision, which is not generally the most popular business decision, because right. if you have something, you want to get it out. And I think that's something they did with the sequel trilogy. I mean, I, I am one of those who's just like, how could you have started on this journey, not knowing where you were going to go, but as, as much, a, as much blame that Kathleen Kennedy can get for that all of the successes you have to give her as well, because mm-hmm. she's the one that, is, you know, got, <laughs> got Favreau and Filoni together, <laughs> according to the article, but also really kind of uh, uh, led the charge for the, for making this transition to uh, television, which, you know, granted they, they don't have a perfect track record, right. but their track record is pretty good. <laughs> and if, uh, the the success of Grogu is any indication of what they have coming down the pipe. Um, it seems like the the future is very bright for a galaxy far, far away. And this was the first time I think, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, that we heard that when the acolyte is going to take place, yes, yes, that it's a hundred yeah. years before the Phantom Menace. Um, yep. it, it it seems to be the project with the most mystery behind it. And yep. I mean, to take a cue from J.J. Abrams. It's always more, you know, I mean, a mystery box. Like, that's the thing that makes people really, really interested. So, yeah, yeah but it was a great article, though. Th- those are the things that stood out to me. The, the, the Acolyte thing was great to see it mentioned. Uh, and um, if that's, go- you know, we'll see that's kind of, you know, coming if that happens. Because we also heard, which I've been saying for years, that the Ryan Johnson trilogy is now on the back burner. We are never yeah. seeing that trilogy. If we do... It'll be like now, 20 years later, when everyone has kind of forgotten it and Last Jedi has kind of become beloved again, that's when we'll see the Ryan Johnson trilogy. So it was no surprise. You don't bring a guy in that, you know, fairly or unfairly, a lot of fans feel split the fandom or epitomizes splitting the fandom with his film. So I, I it was always a... It was always shocking to me. They kept thinking, uh, kept saying, "Oh yeah, no, I'm totally still working on it. Totally gonna happen." No, it was. It was as soon as the response was there, it was never going to happen. So uh, that was cool. But I also liked that we got more of what Andor is going to be. And I was really, you know, as the son of immigrants, to hear him saying that it's a migrant story. It's a, you know, I left my land because it's burned to the ground. I've got to go someplace else. I've got to figure this out. And I'm a wreck and I don't want to be a part of any kind of resistance or rebellion. Very similar to the beats that Jin Erso goes through in Rogue mm-hmm. One. This idea of being disenfranchised, taken away, having family taken away by the Empire, becoming a, a rogue, a scoundrel, a thief, whatever, to survive, scrounging to survive. And then finding a bigger cause to commit himself to. And I, I love that, that that's going to be explored here because he does, in the end, sacrifice himself to fight the Empire, to destroy the Empire in some way. So 
there's something really powerful in that for immigrants who come to this country and love this country because they want a better life and they want and, and they fall in love with America and they want to promote America and they live and die America. And, and so many uh, the history of America is uh, immigrants coming to this country and their children dying for this country in wars and whatever. So it's there. And I like that they're addressing that uh, as well in this. And um, I really enjoyed the Ahsoka aspect of it all, too, that we're getting Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which I think they hadn't officially confirmed. And I guess they did in this article through Ewan McGregor's words and hearing more from um, uh, Hayden Christensen and his approach. And I didn't know they came, went to him in 2019 to, to like pitch him on a bench in Santa Monica. How insane is that? That someone in 2008 is just hanging out with Hayden Christensen going, so, I mean, uh, would you want to come back and play Vader? So this is really cool to see all of this. And Mike, you might be right. I'm sure it is considered a puff piece, but I also think they, they did speak about the things that didn't work. And unfortunately, I do think Kathleen Kennedy is a bit being misconstrued, but not unjustly so. You know, you got to be careful about the things you say. And we're about to have a series where four of the characters are recast actors playing those characters. So to say recasting this isn't the right route. I think there were better choice of words she could have used to be a little more clear sure. about it for sure. Yeah. Um, sure. I But I do think that, you know, I like Solo. I think Solo is a really fun movie. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's not a bad movie. But I do think that recasting Harrison Ford is a challenge. I think yeah. if and when they recast Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill, it's going to be a challenge. Like that is a, and I think that doing the whole CG Mark Hamill uh, or the CG Luke Skywalker is also a challenge. Like these characters, yeah. these characters specifically are very, very tough. Like recasting Mon Mothma, Everybody's cool. Nobody has a big issue with, we've got a young Mon Mothma. Like, that's cool. But there is, and I think just the excitement around Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen coming back kind of speaks to that. Like, if this was a series where it was uh, Obi-Wan in, in the desert over watching Luke and, and Anakin came back and they had young actors playing the two of them, I don't think, we'd be excited, but I don't think yeah. we would be as excited as we are right now so i think she makes a good point it's just some it, you know i don't think it's a tried and true like i think donald glover playing lando is great and we'd all be super happy yeah. to see a lando series so i think it's it just really depends on the the character who you cast like yeah. what's the vibe and so i think she's not 100 percent wrong in what she's saying but yes she probably could have worded it better um <laughs> Yeah, sure. But I did. I, I, I agree. I, everything that uh, everything that Diego Luna said about Cassian Andor and, uh, and 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 being a refugee story was great. I also got very excited. That they kind of said that the series, the first season, at least, is kind of a two hander. It's it's yeah. what it's what Cassian Andor is dealing with at the same time as we're seeing what Mon Mothma is dealing with, which leads her to ultimately become the leader of the rebellion and how these two characters come together. I think that's really, really exciting. Um, I did enjoy, you know, the fact that Rosario Dawson seemingly has spoiled the fact that Hayden Christensen is also going to be in the yes! Ahsoka series. <laughs> uh, they didn't. They 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 went out of their way to to not confirm that in the article, but it really, really yeah. seems like we are going to have some Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker, Force Ghost stuff happening in Ahsoka, which oh, yeah. will literally just break the internet when it happens. Um, There's no so way they would really have in the article if it wasn't going to happen. There's no I kind of feel like you're right. Uh, I'm with you guys on Acolyte. Like, it's really interesting, you know, 100 years. Like, you're like, it is shrouded in mystery. We know very little about it. But saying that it is 100 years before The Phantom Menace and that it, it is this, uh, this renaissance era uh, in the galaxy puts it right smack dab in the middle of the High Republic, which is what's happening in all the books and novels and comics right now. So if you're reading that stuff, you do have a sense of a little bit of what we can expect. And I think that just has everybody super, super excited as well. Um, and then, you know, the overall, the thing that I love the most is I think Star Wars was one of the first mega brands to, you know, we talk so much, it happens every year at the Oscars where people are like, oh, Everybody looks down on animation. Everybody thinks of animation mm. as some kind of secondary thing. Animation isn't the same as live action. And I think Star Wars was one of the first. You know, when Rogue One came out 
and they mentioned General Sindula over the loudspeaker, and we saw the ghost as one of the ships, and everybody freaked out. They're like, oh my god, they're kind of saying that the animation is, is the same. And think how far we've come. Now we have the Ahsoka series coming out. Mandalorian is all about Mandalore. We're seeing Bo-Katan show up. Like, they have taken what happened in animation and just made that a part of the universe and elevated Filoni to basically the Kevin Feige of Star Wars, him and Favreau together. And you can see that that is working so much better for them um, than some other things that they've done. And so the fact that they're doubling down on that and that the stories of the Mandalorians, the stories of Bo-Katan, Ahsoka, Thrawn, I'm sure we're going to get to Ezra, Sabine. Like, Filoni has some plan. And we're kind of seeing it all um, unfold. And I think that's super, super exciting. And I love that Kathleen Kennedy was like, and I encouraged him and guided him to become a better director, to be, kind of embrace this. And was, I, was, I loved it. It was great. It was a master class in how to make sure you're a part of the story the whole time. I got, look, men have done that for decades in Hollywood. So Kathleen Kennedy has got every right to do the same thing. No problem at all. But I go back. Shannon, what did you think about the John Watts reveal? Michael, you too, the John Watts reveal. This is the reason he left Fantastic Four, it seems like. This is now the series he's working on, a Star Wars series called Grammar Rodeo, which is apparently based on some comment in a Simpsons episode that I have no (laughs) recollection of. Um, But 11 to 12-year-olds they're looking at here um, and uh, uh, focusing on that as a kind of, uh, not rebranding, but a a reintroduction of Star Wars from a younger age. So what did you think of that? Well, that's a project that's, uh, I don't I can't remember if it was about a month ago, but there was mm-hmm. something that I'm like, hey guys, I heard about something. I can't tell you on mic, no. but that, that's something that's going to be, I believe, shooting very, very soon. Okay. Um, and the idea that it's sort of an Amblin take on Star Wars that, I mean, post, I believe it's post Return of the Jedi, uh, Grammar Rodeo is an episode of The Simpsons where th- some kids steal a car. Mm. So Are the idea, I don't know. Well, I mean, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Does that seem similar to the Star Trek show we just got, the animated one, where the kids like stumble upon the ship and take it with Kate Mulgrew with Captain? I Kate mean, Mulgrew? could be. Yeah, that's okay. that's prodigy. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, prodigy, it could be. Right. But I mean, just the idea that we're getting a Star Wars show, a live action Star Wars show, from the perspective of children, yeah. is something that we really, you know, we really haven't seen. Like, there definitely been episodes of Clone Wars that that focused on like young Boba Fett you know we had Ezra and Rebels um but I think this is the first time in live action that we're going to see that and I think that sounds I think that sounds really interesting and (laughs) it's funny for John Watts to be like man I am tired of (laughs) I need a break from big budget filmmaking for big franchise filmmaking to jump Spider-Man and then go straight into Star Wars seems like okay well all right (laughs) (laughs) he's over he's over at Marvel he's getting ready to do Fantastic Four he walks out of the Marvel offices Kathleen Kennedy's there in a trench coat and she's like hey buddy you want a Star War? <laughs> and he's like, I'm in. <laughs> like, but yeah, she opens I, it, her coat. It's just lightsabers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that um, it sounds really interesting. Like the idea, like like any, and I think Shannon's the same. I think Roka's the same. Like if you say to any of us, oh, it's an Amblin esque something. Oh yeah. I'm like, well, I'm already in. Like you, you want to anything that's gonna make me feel like it's my childhood. I'm on board, and I love that Amblin kind of vibe where, and we talked about this, uh, you know, that kids, it's, it's Goonies, it's a bunch of kids who get into some adventure over their heads, and amazing stuff happens that kind of like fixes their life at home. It, that's what ET is. It's what Goonies is. It's what all those movies are. Um, and I think that the idea of seeing that in the Star Wars universe in this post Return of the Jedi era. Uh, is really, really interesting. You know, I think it's, there's there's three things that interest me about Star Wars right now. I think we said this last week, like this whole era of um, post prequels into A New Hope, where the Empire is really just like taking over the galaxy is a great era to me. So like, you know, watch with Andor, seeing them basically kicking people out of their planets and just like ravaging the universe. I think that's going to be really compelling. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the seventh sister, you know, all of them kind of chasing them down. Like there's all of that stuff is really, really a great era to play in. And with this post return of the Jedi pre force awakens era where Mandalorian takes place, where Ahsoka is going to take place, where this John Watts thing is going to take place, where, the Empire is gone, but the First Order is sort of bubbling up, and the New Republic is kind of struggling to get a hold of the galaxy. I think there's 
a good 20 years of story that we have there that's going to be really fascinating to tell. And then, and I think this is where Taika Waititi's story comes in, where some maybe this Kevin Feige story that was sort of not fully confirmed, but we'll see, is what's next? What happens post-Rise of Skywalker now that the Empire and the First Order are gone, now that both Luke... Han, all Luke Han and Leia have all passed on. Like, yeah. what's next for Star Wars? So th- those are the three areas that I think, if I was at Lucasfilm right now, I'm like, we know what this is, and we know what this is, and it's doing really well for us. We got to start planning what this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I want to throw something in here that I, we have. First of all, Andor's coming out summer of 2022, which we hadn't gotten released until this article. So now we know that's coming out real soon. God, it's going to be such yeah. a busy summer. Um, and the other part of this, and I and I want to touch on this because I, I did a live reading of this article yesterday. I read the whole thing on camera for YouTube and on the channel and broke my thoughts down as I was because I hadn't read it and I read it in live time to kind of react to it. And and one of the things that got me emotional, I had to stop for a few seconds, was how Deborah Chow spoke about the relationship with Kenobi and and um, Anakin. And I make it emotional talking about it now. I love that the you know you mentioned all the stuff, Michael. But I think at the end of the day, it's the stories, it, it's the connections, right? The human connections between these characters, well, human or otherwise, and what they negotiate, what they go through. That's what's really at the heart of Star Wars that people love. And I think here, uh, Deborah Chow saying. I explored the possibility that Kenobi still loves Anakin. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn, I hadn't even considered that. I hadn't even thought that in my mind because he'd made that turn. But the fact that Anakin still, or that uh, Kenobi still wants to bring Anathan, Anakin back into the light from the dark. And that could be an element of this back and forth with him. Where, because even at the end, when he's screaming at him, you know, you were the chosen one, it's not from a place of hate, it's from a place of actual heartbreak and disappointment, you know? And then, I I went further and I thought and like new hope in essence is the end of the mission of Kenobi to bring An- or I'm mean, sorry return of the Jedi is the end of Kenobi uh, his mission to bring Anakin back into the light and I had never made that connection and so it's just reading it and hearing Deborah Chow's approach no wonder Con- uh, uh, McGregor and uh, Christensen were so excited to jump back into it because that's a that's a story you can connect to beyond Vader and Kenobi it's the fact that these two guys established a relationship from years of being with each other and clone wars even more kind of gave you the filled in the uh, spaces there to give even more of that relationship so i'm going to be so curious to see how those scenes go between them and i hope they go deep as opposed to just the back and forth of you betrayed us you know i want to see something deeper in the connection between them like we had with ahsoka and vader when they had that fight in rebels when she Mm -hmm. injured him and you could hear or in season seven of clone wars where you hear ahsoka uh hearing Mm -hmm. what how vader vader's anakin's turn to vader so just all of that is really exciting me about kenobi at a whole nother level now yeah yeah i mean you think about you think of like if if this is part of the kenobi story that there he he's obviously he still has affection for him but yeah. if he does think he can make, maybe bring him back, and then you think about when we meet Obi-Wan in A New Hope, how he's just like, he's more machine now, the man twisted and evil. Or no, I think that he said that in uh, Jedi. Mm. Um, but the the gulf of time yeah. in between there, like what happened for him to think, I can bring you back to he is a lost cause. Like that's, that's going to be an interesting journey. It, it is, because, I mean, look, the assumption we've all made, because that's the information we had, is that, you know, end of Revenge of the Sith, uh, he chops off Anakin's legs because he has the high ground, right. and Anakin is just there. And it always bothered me because, you know, they have this relationship, and he's like, you were my brother, you were supposed to be the chosen one. And then he just, like, leaves him yeah. alive, legless, screaming, and I'm like, dude, put him out of his... Mi-. Like, it always was, like, a weird moment for me, but then we get to New Hope, we get to New Hope, and you're like, yeah, he's like, you know, your you're Darth Vader killed your father. And like, that's it. And I think we all just assumed that that like, that's just how Obi-Wan felt. But I think delving into like, he left his best friend. He left his, he left someone who's like his brother and he's still fucked up about it. And he still thinks maybe that there's some way he can, like there's some piece of Anakin there and using this series to close that, that like he, whatever happens with them, whatever battle they have, however this goes down in Kenobi, that's where Obi-Wan is like, fuck, there's nothing left. 
that right. justifies why he lies to Luke and says what he says. And then to your point, John, even the fact that, that, that Obi-Wan has completely given up. Like when he says, when his ghost says to, to Luke in Jedi, he's like, he's more machine than man now. Like there's nothing left. And that Luke is the only one that can pull that out of him. So like, I, I think that is, that's up there with like, I, even though I'm glad they didn't do it in um, that episode of Book of Boba, like I, I don't think they can ever do it justice, but I want to see that conversation with Luke and Ahsoka. I oh like the God. Luke and Ahsoka tell me about tell me about what happened and just the two of them like talking about Anakin like that's what gets me emotional. Anytime I think about the two of them talking about Anakin, I lose it. So yeah, so so much to explore here. We're going to be getting real soon from all these Star Wars series into 2022 and 2023. But yes, next week, Kenobi drops. I will be at Star Wars Celebration. I don't know if they're going to show us the episodes. I don't know if we're going to get the episodes ahead of time. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm looking forward to it. I want to see what we're going to get and how long these episodes are. And I'm ready to jump back in. So, you know, it might have been a puff piece, but I liked it. And it got me excited to see all the things that are coming for sure. Yeah, yeah just to be clear, like... Any article in Vanity Fair or Entertainment Weekly or any magazine that we read that's talking about the big movies and TV shows that are coming out are all puff pieces. Like that is what they are there for. It's not a bad. It's not a bad thing. There are bad puff pieces, and then there are really good ones. And this was a really good one. Fair enough. Yeah. That Johnny Depp Amber Heard one, I don't think is going to be a puff piece. All right. Well, thank you all so much. <laughs> for watching this episode of the geek buddies we appreciate it madly hope we entertained you educated you and informed you on what is going on in the world of geek and you enjoyed our points of views on all of it shannon what do we have to tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel it is at mk tune if you would like to follow mr roca it is at the roca says mikey um, look, whether you like superheroes right here on Earth or aliens in a galaxy far, far away, we've got a little bit of everything for you, and we hope you enjoy it. And here's how you can help us keep talking about all the things that we love talking about. Uh, you can hit that like button below. Uh, definitely subscribe to John's Outlaw Nation page. You can hit that like button below. I'm going to say it twice because you just heard me say it, and you're like, I'm not the one who needs to do it, but you really do. You need to hit that like button below. Uh, leave some comments. Let us know what you thought of everything, like thoughts on She-Hulk, Thoughts on Sandman, thoughts on all of the Star Wars series that are coming out. Like, what do you think of all of it? What are you most excited about? What are you least excited about? What are you most scared about? Obviously, I'm most scared about Sandman. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so that we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them they need to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Nice. And of course, big shout out to Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors here on the Geek Buddy. Head on over there, carbonhealth.com. Check them out and uh, get all your healthcare needs serviced by them, either virtually or in person. Sometimes they even offer same day appointments, depending on where your clinic is and in what area you are at. And they've got an app that you can download, Carbon Health app. Have a doc in your pocket, as they like to say, for any healthcare needs that pop up in your day. So go to health, go to carbonhealth.com. Get checked out today. Get your COVID testing, buy your packs. All of that is available there at carbonhealth.com. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode from the Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.